Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 344 of the Running Rogue podcast. This is your host, Chris McClung, coming to you from a rainy day in Austin, Texas. Excited to be back with you this week. Got a, I think, interesting episode topic for you. We're going to be talking all about zone two training. Zone two training. I think this is something that's getting a lot of play that is not new and really just correlates with all the easy running and slow running that I've been talking about since 2016. But obviously that term is getting a lot of play. And I think for the most part, that's good because it's encouraging people to slow down and take their runs at an easier effort. But I do think there's a lot of mythology and maybe some misunderstanding about zone two training and what that means and how to get there. So we're going to do a whole episode talking about it, talking about some of the facts and myths about zone two training that will hopefully help you understand the term and use it more to your advantage as we all can strive to do more easy effort running in our routine so that we can get faster. So that's what we're going to be talking about today. Before we get there, just a couple of notes. One, just want to thank everybody for the outpouring of support after I shared my Houston recap episode in the last episode. Again, had so many messages going into that right after the race, but then even more after releasing that episode of people appreciating me sharing that journey and sharing my honest reactions to it. And I got a lot of messages for people that had bad days, maybe in in other ways, and, and it helped them work through it and think about processing it and moving on to what's next. So that makes me feel good. I'm glad that I can have that impact by sharing a tough day and what that meant to me. And so that means a lot. And thank, I thank all of you for the support and for sharing the impact that it's had because it definitely helps, helps me process and also give fuel to the fire. So thanks for that. And then secondly, before we jump into the main topic, I want to thank my sponsor for this episode, John G. Run John G. I have a new code to use for them. I will be telling you about that mid-episode, so stay tuned. But that code has been changed and updated, so you'll want to tune in and pay attention all the way through. Okay, so with that, let's jump into my conversation about zone two training. And I'm going to be talking about six different things that I think are critical to know and understand about zone two training and the terminology and how to determine it and how to use it and apply it in your own training. Before I jump into those six things, I want to first just talk talk broadly that this idea that you need to run easy in order to get faster and be better at the higher ends of training is a very, very old concept. It goes a long way back, but really was crystallized in the world of distance running with a coach by the name of Arthur Lydiard, who was a New Zealand coach who had success with athletes in the Olympics in the 50s and early 60s racing all distances from 1500 meter or really I think even 800 meter up to the marathon and he had discovered the power of easy effort running and how building a big aerobic foundation through easy effort running could make you your best self and even make you an Olympic medalist which he did for many of his athletes. So you'll hear people talk about Arthur Lydiard. He's sort of the founder of, of modern distance training and coaching when it comes to elite level training. And certainly we've modified and adapted and learned since then, but his foundational element of you got to run easy in order to build a big aerobic foundation in order to ultimately do whatever you want was something that 
he, quote, discovered back in the late 40s and 50s. He, quote, discovered that largely by experimenting on himself, doing big, big mileage, running as easy as he needed to in order to do that big mileage, and then found that that made him fitter at the faster stuff and, and ha- gave him an ability to deliver on the faster paces more than ever. And he ultimately took those concepts and then applied it to young athletes, elite athletes that would eventually go on to win Olympic medals at a huge range of distances with largely similar training when it came to some of the base foundational phases and elements. And really their, their training only diverged when it came to the race specific elements. And the core of it was a big, big foundational base of training that was largely driven by easy effort, high volume training and running. And so this idea of running easy to get faster is not new. It's been around for a long time. And the idea of heart rate zones has been around for a long time. It's been something particularly that's been used in cycling and triathlon and higher level coaching in those realms for a long time. This idea of of focusing on quote zone two training has been around for a long time. The great triathlete and Ironman world champion Mark Allen was a big proponent of doing a lot of work in zone two in order to ultimately win a whole bunch of Ironman world championships in Kona. And so, so this is not a new concept. This idea of running easy to get faster is not a new concept. It is well-documented in science. It is well-documented in practice. It is, it is way older than we are. And so it's just interesting to see it suddenly popular, popularized again and drawn to the surface and kind of recirculated in running influencers and people like Peter Atia who are talking about for longevity. And it's a good thing. It's a good thing to be talking about zone two because easy effort training will make you faster. It will also help you live longer if you do more of it at the right efforts. And by the way, if you go back to episode one of my podcast back in 2016, it's something we talk about significantly in that podcast as a foundation foundational element of our training. Now, we didn't refer to it in that situation as zone two, but we talked about it in terms of easy efforts, similar ideas, similar concepts. So this is not new. And again, it's good to see it talked about and popularized again in different forums and reaching different people to really understand how we improve fitness, how we live longer. But I think as a result of kind of the soundbite world that we live in with videos from people or things posted on social media where you might be catching snippets from people that may or may not be true coaches or experts in their field. I do think there's a a fair amount of misinformation or maybe misunderstanding about what we're talking about when we're talking about zone two. I also think that there's a fairly limited view out there of what it means to run easy and what that looks like. I also think there's a lot of people that are frankly not doing it right that think they are. And so I want to do this episode to kind of clarify some of those things and hopefully help you better execute on easy effort training. And if you choose to use heart rates as a way to do that, we'll talk about how to actually measure that and triangulate around what zone two heart rate should actually be. So here we go. Let's jump in. I got six things for you. These are six facts 
and sort of myth-busting perhaps elements of zone two training. The first and foremost, the key principle here is that easy zone two running is good for you. It is the pathway to getting faster. It is the pathway to longevity or a pathway to longevity. And I think it's actually an under-discussed pathway to longevity. I think when we talk about zone two training, we're not talking enough about the volume of it that you need to truly get the benefit, or at least I think we're underemphasizing that piece. And you'll hear people talk about, you know, do three or four zone two sessions a week, and that's great for you. And it is. It's better than nothing. But really easy effort training, if we're talking about longevity, should be something that we're doing five, six, for some people even maybe seven times a week, depending on what that looks like. More than the typical advice that you hear. And I think the sessions need to be longer than the typical advice you might get. You'll hear people talk about 45 minutes, 60 minute, maybe 75 minute zone two sessions, when really I think you need to be doing at least a one, two hour session every week to truly get the benefits to see that exponential kind of uptick in the benefits to longevity. And of course, the benefits to fitness gains as we extend those long runs. But number one, the, the things you hear about zone two training being good are absolutely 100% true. Again, I think it could be emphasized more. I think when people talk about it, they could talk about doing actually more zone two training than you typically hear because I think everybody in our day and age, especially in the US, wants shortcuts, wants hacks, wants quick ways to get what they want. And so therefore it's not popular to talk about doing a two hour plus zone two session or easy running session every week, even though that's really what it's going to take if you're truly going to lean into the benefits of this this work, both for longevity and for fitness. People aren't willing to necessarily say that because it doesn't sound good. It doesn't sell, so to speak. But I'll say it. I'll be honest about it. But yeah, it does help you. And really doing it in any quantity will help you. But I do think in general that people should be doing more than is advertised. Just like I talked about two episodes ago in the more is more episode, more volume, more easy volume in particular is the magic when it comes to building fitness. And I should also point out here, episode 306 of mine, where I talk about why the why behind running slow and why that's important to building fitness and the ways in which it helps you. And hopefully that episode, if you dig into it, if you haven't listened to it, will really help you understand the counterintuitive nature of why running easy or running slow will ultimately make you faster. But you can dig into it over there. But point number one, is a confirmation that zone two is in fact good for you, both for fitness and for longevity. Point number two, though, is a bit of a myth-busting element here, which is that people always, you hear people always talk about zone two, but what is missed in the conversation is what about zone one? What about zone one? And People skip right over it as if it's not useful. And it is. It's incredibly useful. Zone one is incredibly useful. 
And in fact, you should probably be spending as much or more time in zone one as you are zone two if you're balancing things the right way. But you don't hear people talk about zone one training. That is not a buzzword, but it should be. More zone one training should be in those social media videos that you see in addition to zone two. So it's not just zone two, it's zone one and zone two that are important in this pursuit for fitness as well as for longevity. You need both. I think I shared these stats with you in a prior episode, but I did north of 50% of my miles in 2023 in zone one. I did a smaller but still substantial 30 plus percent in zone two. So I spent 80 plus percent of my time in zones one and two, but more actually in zone one than in zone two. So both are critical, both are important. And I want to talk particularly with this point about why zone one is so powerful. Again, we hear a lot about zone two, but why is zone one powerful? Well, there's several reasons. One is that it's good for recovery. It's good for recovery. I have a prior episode on, is your training polarized enough? And even though I don't refer to it as zone one in that episode, I do talk a lot about making sure that you have a purpose for each run and that your paces are stratified, meaning your recovery runs are slower than your easy, medium, long, and long runs are slower than your quality runs. That, that hierarchy should stay true. And if your recovery runs are as fast as your easy runs, then we have a problem because that means that you're not getting the true purpose of the day on those recovery days. And zone one is the, the recovery zone, primarily. It's also an aerobic development zone, but it is an, a recovery aerobic development zone. And spending time there is critical because it allows you to get that movement, which promotes blood flow, which promotes healing on those days after your long runs and after your quality workouts so that you can then go do the next harder and long thing without taxing the body too much. So primarily recovery is about that movement, blood flow, healing, motion is lotion, but then there's also an ancillary aerobic development benefit because you're in an easy zone. So that's one reason. Another reason why zone one is important is because just like zone two, it improves your ability to process lactate in all higher zones. So you have blood lactate. When you're at rest, we all have some baseline level of blood lactate. It might be 0.5 millimoles. It might be one millimole or somewhere in that range. But you all have, we all have blood lactate at rest. Typically what happens as we enter the early parts of zone one is that your blood lactate actually drops because your body starts to use and process it. And then as you approach zone two, it increases a little bit, which will be close to typically around or just under two millimoles. It increases a little bit to the point where it's stable, but it's a little higher than resting blood lactate. Once you get into zone three, blood lactate starts to rise. At some point, you pass aerobic threshold where it starts to increase in quantity. It starts to go upward at a more rapid rate. Then, of course, at some point, you hit lactate threshold where you've gone past the point of being able to use it as energy or process it out of the body as waste, and it starts to accumulate too quickly, 
and then you're on a pathway to having to slow down. And so there's a key element here of blood lactate. And so when we're in zone one, again, it can be a little bit lower, your blood lactate, than your resting blood lactate, which has huge, powerful impacts on how you process lactate at the higher zones. It also has a really powerful anti-aging benefit to hang out there in zone one and to have that reduced blood lactate level lower than your resting blood lactate level. So those two things are happening in zone one. We're getting recovery as well as we're dropping our blood lactate below resting levels, which then has a ripple effect on our ability to efficiently process blood lactate when it starts to accumulate to a point where it's too much. And so when you spend time in zone one, you spend time working on a zone that's also going to have impact on the higher zones, your ability to run a half marathon pace, which would be typically somewhere in zone four. For example, it's going to also impact your lactate threshold, which is when your body can't or can no longer use or reuse that blood lactate as energy or process it out as waste. And so you start to get overwhelmed by it and then eventually slow down. So Zone one is really, really critical in this overall equation as well. And yet you don't hear anyone talk about it. And therefore, I think there's an implication that it's less helpful, less useful, less productive to be in zone one. And everybody wants to be hanging out in zone two. And they skip over zone one, skip over the amount of time that should be spent there for recovery and for that aerobic benefit that we just talked about. So. Point number two is so critical. Yes, zone two is easy effort training and that's good for you. But zone one is two and might even require an emphasis that is larger than zone two training. And so don't miss it. Don't don't de-emphasize zone one, the expense of zone two. Don't skip over it. Don't miss your recovery zone work because it's absolutely critical to fitness and to longevity. And that's not something that's talked about out there. So that's point number two. It's not just zone two. Zone one is critical as well. And by the way, there's a coach that I follow on Twitter, Alan Cousins, who talks about zone zero being important too, which is essentially walking effort, low-level walking effort, and how that can have aerobic benefits for some, but also metabolic benefits to improve your fat burning processes as well. So even, not everybody uses that concept of zone zero, but there are people that do, and even zone zero has its benefits. And so don't just emphasize zone two to the exclusion of zones one and this theoretical zone zero when you're talking about heart rate zones and running easy. That's number two. Number three was sort of embedded in that one, but I want to emphasize it again and also extrapolate a little bit beyond, which is this idea that zone one and zone two and zone zero, by the way, affect all higher zones. So one of the reasons why going easy makes you faster is that spending time in zones one and two and zone zero, by the way, helps you more efficient be more efficient at processing blood lactate in higher zones. It also makes you more efficient at processing oxygen from the air to your working muscles, to the mitochondria that are the engines that make you go, that perform respiration. And so you need to spend 
most of your time there so that you can then have that a ripple effect, that ripple effect on zones three, zone four, and ultimately zone five. Do you want to be fitter and faster? Then you will invest in spending more time at easy efforts in zones one and two. Absolutely critical. If you're not doing that, then you're sub-optimizing your training. You are not reaching your potential. And even though you might see an improvement for a short period of time, you will plateau. You will get injured. You will do things that are too much that don't improve your ability to do it over the long term. And you won't see your highest potential. Full stop. And as I talked about in that episode of 306, I find it interesting that we accept out of hand without even thinking about it, this same concept in weight training, the same sort of physiological concept of doing lower weight, more reps most of the time so that, it, so that occasionally you can test and improve your max lift. We accept that without even questioning it. If you're like, hey, I want to bench press 150 pounds, the trainer would tell you, all right, let's do six to eight reps of 70 to 80 pounds, first of all. Let's improve and make sure we can do that. Then let's bump that up to 100 pounds and then 120. And eventually you're doing a single rep of 150 pounds without ever touching that weight. Doing lower weight, higher reps most of the time, and then occasionally testing your max. We don't question that process at all. Well, guess what? Running and aerobic fitness works exactly the same way. We have to go easy, i.e. do lower weight, slower paces most of the time at higher reps, higher volume, more miles, so that occasionally we can then test our max by running fast on race day or running fast in a time trial over a distance. It's the exact same physiological concepts. Now, different mechanisms are at play for the reasons why the two work. But it's the exact same physiological principles that we don't even question the weightlifting and yet people can't accept it in the running world. They're just, their minds are blown. They don't understand. They question it. They want to fight it all the time and constantly do more. And it is counterproductive. Zones one and two have a ripple effect up on zones three, four, and five. So make sure you think about that and emphasize those lower zones in order to unlock magic in those higher zones. That's point number three. Before we get to point number four, I want to talk about my partnership with Run Johnji. Johnji Running Apparel. They are a functional running apparel company that also gives back and makes beautiful stuff. It is a perfect combination of all those things. I love their gear. I've been wearing particularly lately their trail half tights, their trail full tights, which are awesome, have plenty of pockets feel great, fit great. And I've also been living in their Merino stuff. I've got the Merino short sleeve. I've got Merino long sleeve. Merino wool is nature's dry fit fabric, and they have a bunch of pieces using that fabric that are all amazing. Super soft, but also really wicking and highly functional and durable gear. It's also great because 2% of all revenue goes to help water projects all around the world. And with each season, they launch and feature artists and designs from all around the world as well, which makes their stuff beautiful as well as works very well. 
So I want you to go to their website, check out their stuff. You can use my new code. It's rogue, just simply rogue, R-O-G-U-E for now 10% off any order at johnji.com or runjohnji.com. Go check it out. Again, that order code is rogue, R-O-G-U-E for 10% off. Go stock up. Okay. Number four, and this one may be hard for some of you to hear, but I think a lot of people are doing zone two wrong. I think people think they're running in zone two, but aren't actually running in zone two. They're running in zone three, a lot of you. And zone three ends up being the worst of all things. Zone three in many ways is the no man's land of aerobic development. You're not in the aerobic strength building sweet spot that is zone four, where you're really learning to efficiently use and process accumulating blood lactate. You're not there. And you're also not in the magic and powerful zones one and two, where you really have that ripple effect that we just talked about with point number three. So you end up in this no man's land, no woman's land that isn't helpful. And it's wasting time on your feet. It's also risking injury. And part of the reason why people end up here I think is because they're still measuring themselves. They're not accepting the breadth that is zone one and two magic. And they're thinking in their heads that if zone two is good, then the very high end, the top part of zone two must be best. So I want to hang out right there and kind of flirt with that line between zone two and zone three. Most people end up in that spot. And the reality is, I think for a lot of people, they're thinking that it's better to be at the top end, right? What's the fastest I can run? It's still be in zone two. And then as a result, they end up creeping into zone three quite a bit. And then it becomes counterproductive. So I think most people are screwing this up. And we'll talk about this a little bit in zone five, which is how do we calculate this? How do we measure this? But if we use some of the traditional means, obviously I've recommended before on this podcast that you need to really have your zones tested. You really also need to be using a proper heart rate monitor with a chest strap in order to have accurate information from this perspective. And if you don't have that, if you haven't been tested in a lab, then you're not necessarily going to know your zones accurately. Well, there are rules of thumb. And interestingly, a lot of people have different methods for determining what zone two heart rate should be. And there's different ways to do it, but let's use some commonly accepted ones. And so some people would say that if you multiply your max heart rate times a percentage, then that's a way to figure out your zones. And commonly, if you search zone two, on the Google machine, it'll tell you that a lot of people agree that zone two is 60 to 70% of max heart rate. 60 to 70% of max heart rate. By the way, as an aside, there are some people that disagree. There are some people that might say zone two is up to 80% of max heart rate. And there's also different methods to calculate it, but we're not going to argue those right now. I just want to take a commonly accepted method of doing it and do some calcs for you. So a lot of people would say, all right, if you want to calculate your max heart rate, one way to do that is to take 220 and subtract your age. So if you're 40 years old, 220 minus your age is 180. So in theory, 
using that extrapolation method that is sort of an average way to get to that number, the average 40-year-old will have a max heart rate of 180, in theory. And then if you take 70% of that, which is the upper end of zone two by some people's definitions, then that gets you a heart rate of 126. If you're 35 and do the same math, it's 129, 25, 136, 55, 115, 65, 108. These are numbers representing, based on commonly accepted math, the high end of zone two. Now, as someone who coaches a lot of people, I see a lot of heart rate data, and I can tell you that there's very few people doing their easy runs and long runs that are below 136 from my experience and my observations on Strava. I think it's harder than people think to keep the heart rate in that space or they want to cheat it a little bit. They kind of want to stay at the high end. They're like, well, it was close enough. You know, it was 138 or 141. It's fine. It's close enough. And there is some truth to close enough being good. But in my realm of coaching, what I want people to do is stay away from those limits, stay away from those edges and get comfortably in zone two or zone one, which generally means going slower from a pace perspective than they are prepared to go. And so there's a reality check needed by a lot of people. And I think everyone needs to look in the mirror and ask themselves, am I being honest with myself about what zone two represents for me? And I'm going to talk in a second about how you can triangulate around those numbers in a different way, in ways that I think combine methods. Because again, there's different methods out there for calculating zone two that disagree with each other. There's also different ways to calculate max heart rate. If you haven't been tested, there's different ways to do the math on all this stuff. And, and there would be some people that I would argue that even just looking at zone two heart rate isn't good enough that you also need to be looking at blood lactate levels at different heart rates and and thinking about thinking about this more from a blood lactate perspective than a pure heart rate perspective and so there's there's a lot of competing thoughts out there about how you should think about this and i'm going to give you some tips on how to triangulate around are you really in zone two are you really running easy enough but all that being said i think in general most of us if they looked in the mirror and we're asking ourselves honest honestly on my recovery days, am I truly going in recovery zone? Which for most people is going to be a heart rate that's below 120, maybe even for some below 115. Zone two, a heart rate below 135, for some people below 130, for some people below even 125. And are you really staying there? Are you really hanging out that space? Are you really becoming comfortable and efficient running paces that allow you to hit those efforts? I think if most of us were honest, we would probably say that we're cheating it a little bit, that we're fudging it a little bit, that we're not being honest about really camping out in those zones. And just keep in mind, there's a huge range here at which we get benefit from zones one and two, a huge range. Hang out somewhere near the middle or the bottom of zone two and stay away from that edge because it's not helpful. You're not thriving or doing better by hanging out at the top end and flirting with zone three. So 
That's point four. Be honest with yourself. Am I truly running in zone two? So then the question is, as we've already alluded to, is, well, how do I know if I'm actually running in zone two? And how should I be thinking about that? So these last two points, point five and six, are about that. Point five is that you may or may not choose to actually operate by heart rate in this context. And part of that is because, one, if you're going to operate and manage your training, your easy running by heart rate, then you need to make sure that you have an accurate heart rate monitor. And it's important to note that while wrist-based heart rate is decent in some respects and can be directionally correct, it is not something I would rely on if you're going to train by heart rate. You would want to have a chest strap that is going to give you a more accurate reading. So that's really important. If you're also, if you're going to rely on training by heart rate, then I would also suggest that you get your zones tested, do a VO2 max test, perhaps with lactate lactate testing as well in a lab. A lot of universities will do them. You can get it done sometimes in other performance-based labs, but you need to get that information solidified so that you can operate accurately and know exactly what your zones are and then measure it when you're actually out there running and, and make sure that you're operating in the right ways. So it's important that if you're going to operate and manage your easy running by heart rate, that you actually have accurate information and good ways to measure it. That's really critical because as I mentioned, if you're going to use some of the formula methods, then there are different perspectives you might get on what exactly is zone Two And there's different ways to calculate it. As I said, you can use percentage of max heart rate. You can also use a concept called heart rate reserve, which essentially looks at the gap between your max heart rate and your resting heart rate, and then makes some percentages based on that gap to get you to extrapolate your zones. And then of course, as I mentioned, you have some people that would say zone two is zone two is 60 to 70% of max heart rate. Some would say it's 70 to 80% of max heart rate. And some would say it's somewhere in between. So there's different ways to think about it. And if you're going to use calculations to arrive there, you also have to understand the limitations of your calculations. And so point five here is that if you're going to train by heart rate zone, you want to make sure you're doing it accurately and with a good measuring tool because the corollary point here is that you may choose to actually manage your easy easy training in a different way. You may choose to manage it outside of using heart rate. And that, I think, can be okay too. And in our world in coaching, because a lot of people haven't had their heart rate tested and a lot of people aren't necessarily wearing a test strap, and we use pace as a proxy to determine whether your efforts are easy enough, we also use perceived effort as another way to determine whether you're not in you're in the right right zone how does it feel you'll hear people also talk about the talk test which means that if you can comfortably have a conversation speaking in full sentences while on the run then that's an indication that you're in the right zone so you know it's important to know that if you're going to do it 
you got to measure it right the correct way. And also know that there are other ways to get to the same outcome and heart rate isn't necessarily the end all and be all. And, you know, we call it easy running for a reason, which means that the definition extends well beyond just this more narrow view of what people would define as zone two training. So there's a bigger picture here. That's point five. Make sure you're going to do it accurately if you're going to do it that way. But know that you've got options. You don't necessarily have to do it that way. And that's okay. There are multiple paths to get to the same outcome to make sure that you're comfortably in zone one, zone two, or as I would define it, in recovery effort space and an easy run space so that you're able to get the benefits of that easy running to build fitness. So that's point five. Point six is, okay, well, how can I know if I'm in the right place? How do I know if I'm in the right place? What are ways to triangulate if I'm not going to have, you know, my heart rate zones tested and I'm not going to invest in a chest strap and all those things? How can I measure things and you can't you can measure it and there are signs that you're in zone two or that you're at the right effort and there are signs that you could be in zone one so there are ways to know and if you're using a wrist-based stool you can triangulate that way around heart rate but let me let me give you a few different things to think about from this perspective so if you're not going to get measured what can you do well one you can go by effort as I mentioned, you can go by the talk test. And just like I mentioned that some people may not accurately really be honest about whether they're in zone two, I think some people can maybe fail the talk test and think they're passing it. So I think it's really important that when we're talking about the talk test, meaning you can have a full conversation, speak incomplete sentences without losing your breath or having your heart rate escalate, that is one way to know whether you're in the right zone to be at the right easy effort. So it should feel easy and you should be able to have a, a seamless conversation. If you can do that, then that's a sign that you're in the right zone. So that's one way to think about it. Pace is another way to think about it. I've talked about this many times on the podcast. If you're running at least a minute, but even maybe two minutes slower than marathon pace, then you're probably comfortably in zone two. And ultimately, what we want to do is triangulate around all of these elements and say, hey, maybe there's no one definitive way, but if I have enough things pointing in the right direction, then that's a sign that I'm doing it right. So we talked about perceived effort. Let's talk about pace again. One to two minutes slower than marathon pace or 90 seconds to two and a half minutes slower than half marathon pace. And by the way, if you're going to be in zone one, you're probably needing to be at least two to three minutes slower or more than marathon pace and two and a half to three and a half minutes slower than half marathon pace for zone one. So pace is another way to triangulate. You can also triangulate by using wrist-based heart rate. And again, you have to recognize that it's not necessarily the end all and be all. It's not as accurate as a chest strap, but by looking at it, especially post run, you kind of monitor whether or not, especially when you calibrate it with pace and with effort, whether or not it's semi-accurate or accurate or what's happening to it. 
You might also notice trends about when it's inaccurate. For me, when it's cold or windy, then it tends to be off more so than when I have other weather conditions. And so I know to kind of ignore it in those bad conditions. But outside of that, typically it seems to be close. At least I can calibrate it with my other factors and feel pretty confident that I'm getting a good reading. And so if I'm looking at risk-based heart rate, then it's not just the absolute number that that I want to look at as to whether or not I'm exceeding zone two. It's also how that heart rate trends over time. Because one thing that's a hallmark of going too fast of being outside of zone two is when you're getting heart rate creep throughout the run. If the heart rate, and there will naturally be a slight increase in heart rate as you go, but it shouldn't be that dramatic and it should be relatively stable and should certainly not see bigger swings. So if your heart rate creeps significantly during a long run, for example, then that's probably a sign that you're going too fast. Because if you slow down and slow down throughout the run, then you'll see that that heart rate stays more stable throughout. So that is another way to indicate whether or not you're truly in zone two is what does the heart rate curve look like? Is it pretty flat? Maybe only a slight increase towards the end? Or does it continue to creep steadily as you do the run? If you have that steady creep happening, then you're probably going too fast. You're probably outside of zone two. So that's another way. A a third way, kind of going back to the effort conversation, is how do you feel at the end? If you get to the end of the run and you feel amazing, you feel good, you feel better than when you started, then that's a sign that you're probably in an easy, easy effort because you shouldn't feel debilitated after a zone two run. You should certainly not feel debilitated after a zone one run. You should feel better for the most part than when you started. And it's amazing, especially when you start playing with this, when you can compare runs of similar distance, one going slower, easier, versus one that might be faster, might be more on the edge. You're going to notice that you bounce back, you feel much better after that easier effort run than one that's a little bit closer to the edge. So that's another way to tell myself, hey, was this honestly the right easy effort is how I feel at the end and what it looks like to recover from it. So really, if you're if you're not getting tested, if you're not measuring with a chest strap, then I would suggest that those variables are probably more important to determining am I in the right zone than just using heart rate, especially risk-based heart rate at this stage, knowing the accuracy that it provides. And ultimately, at the end of the day, all of the things matter to triangulate around, am I truly doing this in zone one or two? Am I truly doing this, to use different language, in recovery zones or easy effort zones? And by that, you look at perceived effort, you look at your pace, you look at what that heart rate curve looks like if you're using risk-based heart rate. And you think about how do I feel at the end after these runs? If all of those things are pointing in the direction collectively that says, hey, this truly and honestly was an easy effort or a zone two run or a recovery run in the case of one of those, then you're probably doing it right. If two of those things aren't pointing in that direction, And you probably need to reevaluate and just remember you really, for the most part, most of us can't go too slow. 
it would not be physically possible for most of us to go too slow to the point where we're not getting these aerobic development benefits from low zone training. So know that you have a huge range at which to operate. And I want you very comfortably in the middle of those easy ranges so that you're not anywhere near the edge because that's where the magic is. That's where you're going to get the biggest bang for your buck from a fitness standpoint and from a longevity standpoint. So there you go. The six things that I want you to do to know about zone two training. One, it works both for fitness building and for longevity. Two, it's actually not just about zone two. Don't skip zone one because that's maybe even more important in the grand scheme of things. Three, zone one and two affect the higher zones. That's where the magic is to get your ability to process lactate or to improve your ability to process lactate and bring oxygen into the system in zones three, four, and five. Four, most people are running too fast. And so I would ask you to look in the mirror and ask yourself, am I really doing my easy runs in the right zones, especially the easy and recovery runs? Number five, you got to make sure if you're going to use heart rate, if you're going to really lean into zone training, you got to make sure that you're getting tested, know that you know your zones properly and that you have an accurate measuring tool with a chest-based heart rate. Because if you don't, then most likely your best path is actually to use some other things to corroborate whether or not you're in zone two. And then number six, what are the ways to decide whether you're in the right zone if you're not using one of those more accurate methods? It's effort, it's pace, it's that heart rate curve, that relative heart rate curve, and it's how do you feel at the end? Those are the ways to know. So there you go. We'll wrap this episode here. Thanks to all of you for listening. Thanks to John G for sponsoring this episode. Again, use code ROGUE, just ROGUE, R-O-G-U-E for 10% off. And that's it. We'll wrap this one here. As always, you can check us out at roguerunning.com or follow us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook at Rogue Running. Until next time, talk to you soon.